0: We're going to look at verses 9 through 19. As I'm sure you're aware, 3D movies uh, are making a comeback. You know that, right? I mean, every movie that comes out is in 3D. And if you've ever been to a 3D movie, which most of you all probably have, it really is amazing, isn't it? I mean, when you put on those 3D glasses... It's even better than real life. I mean, when you look at that picture, I mean, the texture and the color and the depth is unlike anything that you've ever seen. If you're like me, every 3D movie that I go to, you've got to test it, right? You take down those 3D glasses and you look at the screen without the 3D glasses and what do you see? Right. You see a picture that is jumbled, a picture that is fractured, that is fuzzy, that is blurry. I want to suggest tonight that if we're honest, deep down in our hearts, we are a people. Yes, we see Jesus, but it's often like looking at Jesus without the 3D glasses, We see a Jesus, oftentimes, that is blurry and pixelated and jumbled. You see, we, for the most part, have tamed Jesus. We don't see the true Jesus. And so the question is, how do we change that? Well, we believe we change that in RUF by looking at the Bible, that When we look through the lens of Scripture, it shows us more clearly who Jesus is and what he has done. And there is no clearer picture, friends, of Jesus than the one we see in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 19. Follow along with me as I read. This is God's Word. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation... And the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold... I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. This is God's holy word. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us? Uh, If anything of substance uh, or anything of value is going to happen in this room tonight, it's going to be because your Spirit comes and applies this word to our hearts. And so, Jesus, come. Change us. Come, help us to see you more clearly, and as a result of that, may we leave here differently, looking at you differently, living differently. Would you do this in Jesus' name? Amen. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote it while he was in exile from the island, as you heard from the text, called Patmos. Well, history tells us that pirates never did really make anyone walk the plank. But you know what they would do? They would send them to exile. In exile, when they went to exile, the pirates would give them a gun with one bullet in it for them to use when they could not take it anymore. That's how bad exile was. And John is in exile, all because he preached and taught about Jesus. And he is talking and writing to seven different Christian communities, seven different churches, as you heard. And if you look at these first few chapters of Revelation, they're all struggling in some way. Some are suffering terribly. Because of their faith. Others are simply living lifelessly, and others are riding the fence with Jesus. In particular, in particular, most of these churches or communities that he's writing to, they're either bored with Christianity, or they're riding the fence with Jesus. They have one foot in the world, they kind of do whatever they want Monday through Saturday, and then they show up for church on Sunday. They're riding the fence. They're fence riders. John describes them in these early chapters as people that have lost their first love. As people that, though they look alive on the outside, their hearts are deader than a doornail. He goes on and says that they're neither hot nor cold, but simply lukewarm. In other words, Christianity was no longer interesting to them. They were bored with Jesus... This is starting my sixth year on this campus. And so much of what I overhear on this campus is a consistent depiction of a spiritual life that is described in the most apathetic of terms. And it's not that people are walking around bashing Jesus or disagreeing with him. Some are, and that's okay. But consistently, it's more of a boredom with Jesus. It's more of, I grew up with this stuff, and Jesus does nothing more than lead people to a boring yawn. And what's interesting is if you look at this passage, look what John does. John doesn't offer these bored, lifeless communities that he's writing to a seven-step program on how to have your best life now. He doesn't do that. He doesn't offer them good insights, a system, a magic formula, principles. Do you know what John does? John gives them a person. John gives them Jesus. And so what is his solution for people that are living lifelessly or bored with Jesus? His solution is to be consumed with a vision of the true Jesus. Well, how do we do that? If you have an outline, it should be on the back of your announcement sheets. We do that first by looking at him in a new way. Look at verse 10 with me. According to these verses, John is in exile, as we said, on Patmos, but he's participating in the worship of the church. And as John is worshiping, he turns around... And he sees something and he begins to write it down. And what John sees in person, he gives to you tonight on the pages of Scripture. And when John turns around, if you're reading Revelation, if you're like me, I'm almost instantly thinking, okay, here's when the crazy stuff starts. You know, here's when stuff starts falling out of the sky and coming up out of the ground like something that, you know, you might read in a book somewhere. But that's not what John sees, is it? That's what we expect, but that's not what he sees. John doesn't see dramatic events. John sees a person. He sees the living Jesus shining in all of his splendor. And in all of his glory. And he starts to describe him. Look at verse 13. And notice John doesn't give us a theological discourse on Jesus, does he? John gives us a picture book of Jesus. And he starts in verse 13 by describing his clothing. He says that he has a long robe with a golden sash. The lengthy long robes were robes that the priest would wear. And if you were a priest and you had a golden sash around your chest, it meant that you were the priest that is to be held in the highest honor. So do you see it? Jesus, the great high priest, the one who all the sins of the world were put on him on the cross so that you could experience mercy and grace and forgiveness. Look at verse 14. It says his hair, he has white hair. If you read the book of Proverbs, white hair means what? Wisdom. Jesus is a wise figure. A wise man full of all wisdom. Look at his eyes. When you looked at Jesus, you knew that he knew you deeply. His eyes were searching eyes. Eugene Peterson, a commentator, says that the eyes of Jesus don't look at you. They look into you. Verse 15 describes his feet. Says they're made of bronze. When the Bible, you see this comparison between bronze feet and between feet made of clay. And if anything that had feet made of clay, the kingdoms as they were described would topple and crumble just like that. But a feet in a kingdom that had feet made of bronze, which we see here with Jesus, is a kingdom that is from everlasting to everlasting. It will never pass away. It is secure. His voice, this is my favorite. His voice is one of authority. Look at verse 12. His voice cuts you to the core. When Jesus speaks, you want to listen to Him. And look at verse 12. John doesn't turn around. You know, when you and I talk, we hear someone talking, right? What does it say here? John turns around and doesn't hear Jesus' voice. He sees it. Now think about that. Nobody's seeing your voice when you talk. Jesus' voice, when he speaks, it is so powerful that you actually see it. It would be like you walking down to the ocean. Maybe you went to the beach this summer. Maybe not with all the stuff going on in the Gulf, but... You would go down to the beach, and it says it's like the roar of many waters. You know how you have to basically scream at the person next to you when the waves are rolling in in order to hear them. It says that his voice is like the roar of many waters. It goes on, verse 16, and so it says that out of his mouth is a two-edged sword. Anytime we see a two-edged sword in the Bible... It's the Word of God. And so the Word of God is coming out of Jesus' mouth. When He speaks, He speaks the very words of God, not His own. Look at His face. It's like the sun shining in full strength. To look at Jesus, look at His face, would be like lying on the beach, no sunglasses, eyes wide open, looking straight at the sun. You cannot do it. Jesus' face is that bright, that radiant. And my question for you tonight is that your Jesus? Is that your Jesus? Or is your Jesus blurry and pixelated and fractured and jumbled? I can almost guarantee you that that's not your Jesus that you see. You know how how I know that? Because if I'm honest, I'm not sure it's the Jesus I see either, sadly. All of us have a version of Jesus. And normally what ends up happening is we end up in all of the editing that we do of Jesus, we end up normally giving him a makeover... And he ends up coming out looking a whole lot like who? Us. We all, to one degree or another, are making Jesus into who we want him to be rather than worshiping him as he truly is. I heard a pastor say once that we want Jesus to be our masseuse, not our master. We want Jesus, we're like, Jesus, wait a second, you just missed a spot right there. Can you help me out? Can you give me what I want? Can you make me feel good? We don't want, if we're honest, a master to come in and control us and lead us. And that's exactly what we see here. We see a living, powerful, eternal king shining in all of his glory. So how do we become consumed with a fresh vision of Jesus? Well, first, we've got to see him in a new way. And secondly, we have to reshape our response to him. How do you know if you've seen Jesus? Here's how you know. You know if you have come face to face with Jesus when you fall on your face and you worship. Look at verse 17. John says, I fell at his feet as though I were dead. Here's the picture. Get into the scene with me. John sees this Jesus, you know, the radiant face and the seeing his voice. And John, you can just see him hitting the deck and saying, curling up in a ball in the fetal position saying, please don't touch me, please don't touch me. That is the picture. You can see John making himself smaller and smaller. And my question is, when is the last time that has happened to you? Upon seeing Jesus, you fell on your face without words, in reverence as though you were dead. You know, the truth is, I'm cool with this passage up until this point. If I'm honest. Like, up until this point, like, I'm kind of into it, you know? I mean, I'm a brave heart, gladiator, patriot kind of movie guy. And so, like, when I see this sword coming out of his mouth and eyes blazing, I'm like, all right, that's my Jesus right there. I love it. It gets me pumped up. But then I see how John responds, and I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. I don't like to fall down on my face as though I were dead. You see, if I'm honest, I don't like to be messed with. I don't like to be undone. And that's what happens when you see Jesus. Reminds me of the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis in the silver chair. You might remember the scene. The lion, Aslan, comes to Jill and says, "'Jill, are you thirsty?' And Jill says, of course, Aslan, I'm thirsty. I'm dying of thirst. Aslan responds, well, then drink. You know what Jill says? She says, "What I I will uh, and I would drink, but would you mind going away for a while while I do? And Lewis comments on the scene and says that Aslan looked at her with glaring eyes. And with a low growl. And Jill responds by saying, Well, I will come and drink, but you have to make a promise that you will not do anything to me if I come. And Aslan responds, I make no promises. You see, Jesus is a master. Jesus is Lord, and when you meet him, he messes with you and causes you to fall down on your face as though you were dead. But keep reading. At this point, you expect Jesus to reach out and touch John, and boom, him just burst into flames or something. That's not what happens, is it? He reaches out in what starts out as terror ends with a deep sigh of relief as Jesus reaches out and touches John with grace and affection. And what does he say to him? Don't be afraid. I love you. I died for you. You are alive. Be at ease. In Revelation chapter 1, John doesn't turn around and see some weird, dark prophecy about the events of the future. John turns around and he sees Jesus. And my prayer for RUF this semester is that we wouldn't be a ministry that just sees any Jesus. But we would be a ministry that sees the Jesus revealed in Revelation chapter 1. That's my prayer for our ministry, and that's my prayer for your life personally. And why? Well, simply put, this Jesus is not a wimp. This Jesus is strong. This Jesus is powerful. This Jesus is stronger than whatever it is that you're going through at this very moment. This Jesus is stronger than your addiction to pornography. Some of you feel like you're in chains and that you're never going to get out and that no one can help you. Pornography is not stronger than this Jesus. This Jesus is stronger than your eating disorder. If only you could hear Jesus saying, I love you, I died for you, and everything that I've done is to make you beautiful. And nothing or no one can ever change how I feel about you. If you could hear those words, which Jesus says, that's strong enough to give you an appetite. You see, this Jesus is stronger than your idols, stronger than your constant complaining, than your constant need for attention. This Jesus is stronger than your sexual brokenness, as we're going to talk about this semester. This Jesus is stronger than your unbelief. Some of you are skeptical. Ask Jesus to reveal himself to you and see what happens. In that same scene in the silver chair, where Aslan comes up to Jill and says, I make no promises not to do anything if you come and drink from the stream. You know what Jill says? Well, Jill says, I'm not going to come, Aslan. She says, Aslan, I'm just going to go to another stream and get a drink there. And Aslan responds by saying, Jill, there is no other stream. What is RUF? We are a ministry that basically says every week that Jesus is the only stream that Jesus is what we need at the beginning of this semester. It's what you need at the beginning of another school year, more than anything else, is to be consumed with a fresh vision of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the one that will sustain you through your college years and beyond. It won't be great friends that will sustain you. It won't be great classes and great organizations and fraternities and sororities It won't be campus ministries and Bible studies. And yes, all those things are great, but it will be Jesus that will sustain you. Why? Because he is life. He is the only stream. He's the only one that can bring the change that you so desperately desire in your life. He is the one that you're looking for. And so week after week after week, we're going to hold up Jesus. Not good ideas, not systems in five-step programs, but Jesus. Real hope is staring you right in the face tonight. And my question is, do you see him? Do you see Jesus? Will you come? Will you come and fall down at His feet and worship and experience His power and His majesty and His splendor and His glory? And will you come experience His grace and mercy and affection and that voice that says, Don't be afraid. I love you, and I died for you. I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, um, we need you to convince us that you're the only stream. Because we uh, are so prone to wonder. We're so prone to run after other idols and streams, thinking that there is life there. And so, Jesus, would you come and bring about repentance in our hearts? for running after things that will never satisfy. Father, may we come as we sing this next song and may we enter into your presence. May we see you. I pray that some of you, uh, some of those uh, here tonight would see you for the first time. Would you open up their hearts and give them faith? And for others that are bored and struggling spiritually, would you breathe life into our hearts as we begin this school year? Thank you for dying for us and for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.